Today's sermon text is Proverbs 3, 1 through 22, out of the New International Version. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. This is God's word. Thank you, David. Uh, Again, good morning, everybody. Uh, We are continuing our current series on the book of Proverbs, uh, Wisdom Calls Out. Um, I want to remind you that the reason that we're doing this is because we want to live by God's ways in God's world. And we need wisdom to do that. Uh, Last night I had the privilege of officiating the wedding for Dier and Sylvia Cooper. Uh, I don't know if you've had the chance to meet them yet. They only joined the church a few months ago. And uh, we quickly became uh, fast friends through premarital counseling. And, um, oh, we had some good times, some rocky times and some great times. And... um, Last night we were at the wedding and there were some other friends from the church who were there and during the reception we were just standing there talking and they were sharing some of the pain and the hurt that they were going through, particularly with their families. And um, and some of the stories they were telling me were really, really hurtful. And uh, honestly, when I was thinking about what the scriptures say about the complexities and the nuances of what they're dealing with in their families, there wasn't a clear scripture or verse or rule on what to do to fix that. Their issue is so complex and nuanced, I stood there a little dumbfounded for a bit. I didn't know what to say. I had to think, and I still didn't have a very good answer for them. But we did spend a few minutes talking through all of the complexities of this issue. And I was reminded as I was talking to them about this series that we're in, Proverbs takes us below the clear, quote-unquote, rules 
on how to be a Christian or follow Jesus. Um, Proverbs takes us into the weeds of our life. And it shows us that God is really interested in getting into the weeds of our life and helping us and being with us as we face really complex decisions and nuanced issues in our lives. Um, Proverbs calls us to humility, to depend on God in those times, because it's hard. It's really hard. Uh, Life is hard. I've got a friend who says that life is tragic, and I believe him. I think life is tragic. And so Solomon... This king, maybe you've heard of him, uh, was the king of Israel about a thousand years before Jesus. And he is the sage king. And he has collected these wise sayings. He's written many of these wise sayings. But some of them he's collected, which is why there's more than one author of the book of Proverbs, but mainly Solomon. And he's writing them, he's collecting them and writing them for his son, who's going to take over for him one day. And also for the other boys in the royal court who are going to help administer the Israelite kingdom, uh, the Israelite political structure. And so he's writing not just isolated, wise maxims for people, ordinary people to live their lives. It's written for us too. It's written for, Proverbs are written to the ordinary nameless people that history will forget. It's written for guys like us, people like us. Proverbs chapter 8, Lady Wisdom. And if you remember, Lady Wisdom is Solomon's way of trying to take a beautiful attribute of God and lift it into its glory, which it should be seen, the wisdom of God. And so rather than just saying the wisdom of God... He calls the wisdom of God Lady Wisdom. And remember, he's talking to young boys, pubescent boys who are growing and turning into men. And Solomon is lifting up to them this glorious female figure, Lady Wisdom, who is, in Solomon's mind, the picture of the beauty and the glory of God's wisdom. He wants his son to fall in love with wisdom. Because I don't know a lot about you, but for me, I fell in love with folly when I was 13, 14, 15, and 16. I fell in love with it. I was crazy about it. The forbidden woman was stunning. And he wants his son to fall in love, rather, with lady wisdom. And so he's compelling him to look at her, listen to her, follow her ways, adopt her precepts, bend your heart around the teachings and the leadership of Lady Wisdom. But again, this book is not written just to ordinary people. This is also a political book. And what I find really ironic, and I think just as a side note, this isn't even the subject of my sermon today, considering the toxicity of discourse around politics these days. I think it's really interesting that Solomon is writing these words to his son and the other boys who are going to lead the nation of Israel, and he tells them things like this. Love kindness and faithfulness. Don't turn your back on love. Make sure that in your dealings with people that you always respond with a soft and gentle answer. Not beat people up with your long political monologues to try to bend their hearts for them to submit to you. 
I think this says something about how we should think about the next election. I'm, I'm gearing up for that. I know you're like, God, he just, it, it was, the dude was just elected. I know. And two years from now, when it all ramps up again, Facebook's going to go haywire and we're going to have a choice. Are we going to be people who dialogue with one another via soft answers? Are we going to make sure that we don't let love and kindness and faithfulness wander from us, but are we going to reach for them like Solomon tells his son, the future king of Israel? Are we going to do that? Just a side note. What I want to do today is launch in verses 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20. And this is going to be about a three-week message. Um, I thought it was going to be a two-week message. And then after the first service, I realized that this is a three-week message. And so um, what we're going to be doing today is laying the groundwork again for why we must live lives of wisdom. Why it is crucial. Why this isn't just a good idea. Why this isn't something that we should just consider. Why with an urgency we must pursue a life of wisdom in God's world. We're also going to get into the next couple of weeks the apparent promises or absolutes that are found in the book of Proverbs. If you remember, uh, look if, and uh, let's see, verse one. If you go back to verse one of this text, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart. For if you keep my commandments, he's saying, they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Well, the first reaction that I have, and I think we should always feel our feelings when we read the Bible. We should always notice our reactions how we're drawn into the beauty of Scripture, or how we recoil in defensiveness. And my first response to that was to recoil. Because I've known people who are faithful to God who did not live a long life. I've known people who were faithful to God who were racked by lifelong anxiety and depression. And the uninformed, maybe at times well-intended, but the uninformed person might surmise that there was something impaired or broken about their faith because they didn't live long and have pure, joyful, blissful peace of mind all of their days. And that's just wrong. It's just wrong. Now, I can't say it's wrong because the Bible says something here. So I can't put my authority over the Bible. So we have to engage what the Scripture teaches and try to understand the heart of God in this text. We're going to be dealing with that over the next couple of weeks, but we're also going to be dealing with the issue of money. Money. How we deal with money. Because it's my opinion, and I submit this to you, that in Proverbs chapter 3, he gives us five big overarching categories of what it looks like to be a true servant of Yahweh, the living God. Yahweh is the Hebrew word, the covenant word that God gave to Israel to know him by. He introduced himself to Moses and the enslaved Israelites as Yahweh. I am your God. You are my covenant people. And throughout the book of Proverbs, it's clear the use of Yahweh informs us on how to read this. He's writing to his people, God's people, and he wants God's people to live well in this broken world. He wants God's people to live really well. He wants to live, them to live for his glory. And so we're going to be covering all of these issues. So this is about a three-week-long sermon that we're going to be starting today. So bear with me. Bear with me. Try to follow my line of thought here. All right. I know that can be difficult at times. Um, 
Amen, says my family. So Proverbs 3, verses 19 and 20, we're going to start in the middle. And I submit to you that these two verses may be the crux, not only of this chapter, but the entire book of Proverbs, in terms of how and why to live in wisdom. So he says this in verses 19 and 20. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. So by what the Lord laid the earth's foundations? By wisdom. Now God created the world with his power. But wisdom was his motive. Wisdom was the impulse that led God to say, let there be light. He created this world in his wisdom. And that immediately comes against some of the stuff that we deal with, with this post-Christian, post-modern world that we live in, where people question if there's a really, a really a good God, and how can God be good, and how can God be just, if he knows that there are all these terrible things happening in the world, and he doesn't do anything about some of them. God is good, and God created this world in his wisdom. In his wisdom. He's calling us to trust him. I told the first service, Following Jesus, if you choose to follow Jesus, you're going to have to make peace with this. Get used to mystery. Get used to mystery. The book of Proverbs and all of Scripture is not a math book. It's not a book of equations that if we exploit and employ certain truths in it, then it will cause some sort of a spiritual chain reaction and make God do things for us. That is not what Scripture is all about. Scripture is about God redeeming and restoring fallen, broken humanity. Proverbs is a microcosm of this. It is a call. The call to live by wisdom is a call to live according to God's way, which is healed, restored, and whole. So in 19 and 20, he says this, By wisdom the Lord, uh, the Lord laid the earth's foundations... By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. Now, I may be pushing this too far, but even if I am, I think this is right, what I'm saying. Um, I think you can get a, at least a couple of ideas from this text. One, God created the world. God created the universe. God created the cosmic bodies. God created the wind and the sea. God created everything. He created the molecules that were holding up this building, that are all jammed together really tightly, that kept us from getting wet from the wet molecules that were falling like cats and dogs on this place uh, in the first service. We didn't know if the Holy Spirit was moving or, if, or what was going on, but it was awesome. So God created that. Not only did God create every spinning molecule that exists... But God created the physics that causes those molecules to operate. He, 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 the watery depths were divided by God. He's making this earth livable for us. Why? By his wisdom. The clouds let drop the dew. Why? Because this place God made as a life-giving place to live. God made this earth in his wisdom. Now, I don't think that Solomon says these two verses just because he's waxing philosophical in the middle of this monologue on wisdom. 
I think he says that to set up the command that he gives his son in the next verse. Okay, everybody with me? If you're not, just pretend. Okay, the next couple of verses, he says this in verses uh, 21 and 22. He says, my son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. When you hear that word preserve, what comes to your mind? Preserve. What does it say about the nature of sound judgment and discretion in a human's heart that we have to preserve it? Keep it. One of you said put it in a box, like don't let it out. Is that what you meant? Maybe. Uh, she was like, huh? Oh, what? 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 I'm sorry, what did you say? I still can't understand. A jar of jelly. Okay. That's why I couldn't understand. Because I thought, yeah, a jar of jelly. I thought she was going, jar of jelly. And I was like, I know he's not saying that. Unless he's crazy. So, well, what else? What else comes to mind? What's that? Store it. And so there's something about the way that we are where we've got to fight for it. Now, does that mean that God's saying, man, I'm really hard to serve? That's life in the big city, man. <laughs> if you're going to serve me, it's going to be really hard. Or... Is God reaching his hand to us and letting us know on the front end that fighting for our humanity is going to take effort? Now, what I'm not saying here and what the scriptures are not teaching is that we earn God's love or affection. That's not what this is saying. This is written to God's people. People who are already in covenant with God. People who were saved hundreds of years before from Egypt. People whom God made a covenant with and said, I will never leave you. You will always be my covenant people. This is not about us saving ourselves. This is us about learning to live God's way in God's world. Why? Because God loves us. And he doesn't want us to do dumb things. God loves us. Dumb things lead to bad effects. Wise things generally lead to good effects. You agree with that? I don't think that's a profound statement, but it may be profound that we need to hear that. Dumb things lead to bad effects. Wise decisions lead to generally good things in our lives. He loves us. He wants us to experience the goodness of God in this broken world. He wants us to experience this. So he says, my son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you. Now, here's what I think he's saying. I could be wrong, but I submit this to you for your own judgment. He says to him, son, God created the heavens and the earth. He made the dew that falls from the sky. He made everything. He made this world livable. You can trust God that when you wake up in the morning, that the air you breathe is not toxic. You can trust God that the animals that you eat are not going to kill you, unless it was made at McDonald's. You can trust God. You can trust... I'm just kidding. I shouldn't say that. I love McDonald's. I, I'm, I, I own that. So uh, you can trust God with this. If you can trust God with the way that he made this world then you can trust that God's commands are for your good. They're not for your bad. Here's what I think he's saying. That if you are going to live in God's world, 
You are going to have to live by God's wisdom. Because if you don't live by God's wisdom in God's world, then you are living your life against the grain of creation. You are living your life in opposition to the wiring of the universe. To to live a life of folly and simplicity and to push away from wisdom is to reject the wiring of God in this world. It's like putting batteries in a device backwards. It just won't work. It just won't work. In the first service, I gave the illustration of my relationship with my sister. Uh, Very dear and very close when we were young children. Especially when she would play with her Barbie dolls. And in her little Barbie world, they were having tea parties and driving a pink Corvette and all that kind of stuff and hanging out with Ken. And when I would enter into that world, I lived in opposition to the rules of that world. Because I liked for the Barbies to be headless. I really liked that about Barbies. Or I liked their heads to be pushed down really far so they had no neck. I like that part of, I like that Barbie world too. I also like taking her Barbies and burning them because it looked like they were shot in battle uh, by G.I. Joe or by Optimus Prime. I loved doing that. I was living in opposition to the rules of her world and it brought great, great tension to our relationship. Um, great tension. She's, she's, for, she's in the process of forgiving me. So this is why, so when you go to, to, to uh, Proverbs chapter 3, I really think it helps to start off in the middle where he, where he exclaims how God created all of the world by his wisdom. Because it is a blessing, despite the fact that we live amongst fallen humanity and in a world that God has given over to futility that now rises up against us who are called to steward it, it is still a blessing to live in this world that God created, and it's only appropriate to live God's way. If we don't live God's way, we are inviting cursings and calamity into our life. Now, before I move on from there, I want to go back to the beginning of Proverbs chapter 1. And I want to commend to you a posture that we must have if we are going to live God's way. Because I don't want you going home today in a bunch of willpower thinking you're going to get this thing figured out. Because we have to depend on Jesus. We have to depend on Jesus. I once heard a theologian say when he was asked, what's the definition of salvation? He said this, Jesus living his life through you. I've never forgotten that. Why? Because I'm quoting it right now. So that proves to you I've never forgotten it. But I, that, the way that he said it was so not textbook. It so wasn't sterilized by black and white print on a page. Jesus living his life through you. And the only way that Jesus lives his life through you is when the Holy Spirit has entered into your life, when the Holy Spirit has brought you to a place of faith and trust in Jesus, and that faith is evidenced by a belief that I should live in the ways of Jesus. That's what Bible faith is. I believe that I should live in the ways of Jesus. I believe the ways of Jesus are for me. The ways of Jesus were once ridiculous to me. I remember thinking of ways, even as a young minister, to try to explain away turning the other cheek that Jesus said in his paramount sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Trying to find a way to explain that away because surely Jesus would not want me to be a doormat because that's what everybody says. 
Surely Jesus would, there are, there are times that I should get people back when they've really, really wronged me. And the more that I've grown in Jesus, I'm not saying I've arrived yet, the more I've realized how glorious and beautiful the teachings of Jesus are. Forgiveness and serving one another. Laying our lives down for each other. Checking my heart and dropping my pride reaching for intimacy with you and not, not recoiling from you in hurt or anger or fear. These are things that are growing more and more beautiful to me. They're not always beautiful to me, evidenced by my actions at times, the way that I marry, the way I leave my kids. Um, you'll see freckles and warts and some ugly things about me, but I'm growing and I'm thankful for that. I'm growing in a real love and treasuring of the glorious, beautiful teachings of Jesus. Like, I really believe that. I believe that Jesus... But, it, but it's not just believing in Jesus' ways. It's I really believe that Jesus was more than just a good teacher. Jesus is God. When God, who... I, 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 this is not even an argument to me. Where did the world come from? God. I can't accept the idea that it just happened. That matter came into existence. Somehow, we just don't know. If you can believe that, then I think you can take the next step and believe in a creator. And I believe that the creator who is so good to create this world and this universe, I believe he wants to be known. And he showed himself to us thousands of years ago. He said, humanity, I want to show you what I'm like. Introducing Jesus, the son of God. And if you want to know what I'm like as your God, as your creator, look at the person of Jesus. Look at his ways. Look at his heart. Look at his motives. Look at his attitude. Look at the things that he despises and look at the things that he loves. Look at Jesus because he is the exact imprint of my nature. Jesus is. Look at him and have faith in him and trust in him because I'm Jesus and Jesus is me. We are in each other. We are one. Jesus. Love him. Worship him honor him and bow down before him. I really believe that the scriptures teach this and I believe it to be true. That's the kind of faith that we're talking about here. So we're not talking about saving ourselves. We're not talking about earning God's love. We're talking about as we live life in Jesus, we are living wisely according to the ways of Jesus for the glory of God, for the glory of God. And if you remember week one, the re- one of the reasons why we live by wisdom is not just so we can make it to the end of our lives unscathed, It's because God has called every one of us to bring flourishing to every sphere that we touch. This is what it means to live by wisdom. It's to make good and wise decisions for me. And it's also to make good and wise decisions for you. It's to make good and wise decisions for me and my family. And it's for me to live my life where I'm making good and wise decisions for you. So I'm thinking about justice and equity for you too, not just for me. When something happens that's wrong to me, it's not fair. But I'm also saying the same thing about you. It's not fair that it happened to you. It's not fair. But we've got to adopt a posture first. And he does the same thing in Proverbs chapter 3 that he does in Proverbs chapter 2. You think maybe by him repeating it, he really wants us to remember this. So in Proverbs 2 verses 1 and 2, he says this, My son... Do not forget my teaching. Do not forget my teaching. But keep my commandments in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. 
If you go back to Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5, he says it this way, just a quick paraphrase. He says, regarding my teaching, son, please, I beg you, listen to me. There are things about this world, complexities and dangers about this world that you cannot possibly anticipate. So I beg you, my son, trust in my words. So take my teachings, take my counsel, take my advice, and here's what I want you to do with them. And he says in Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, accept them. Store them up. Turn your ear to them. Apply your heart to them. Call out for them. Cry out for them. And search for them as hidden treasure. My son, I beg you, please. You feel the powerlessness in his voice. Because he knows at the end of the day, his son's got to make the choice. His son has to choose. His son's got to choose. If you've got kids that are becoming teenagers, you're realizing your powerlessness. They've got a whole future in front of them. And you're just praying, God, please, please, please let your spirit come on them in such a way that they will choose to follow hard after you. And they will not be smitten and mystified and drawn in to the things of this world. Please, God, please. So we always need to be bending our hearts to humility. And that's hard. It's hard. Dallas Willard says that God is opposed to earning, but he's not opposed to effort. And we are living in a world where the Spirit has come upon us. Those of us who follow Jesus, the Spirit has come upon us. And the Spirit has anointed us in a unique and special way with the help of community, good pastors, Rhythms of worship in our lives like Sunday morning and community group and daily interaction with the scriptures. All these things that we immerse ourselves in are the building blocks of people who are wise, who live for Jesus. And we're reclaiming our humanity. We're reclaiming it. The impulses that drive us to pornography, to drunkenness, to toxicity, and rampant insecurity in our relationships. All the stuff that we drink from every day at the workplace. God's calling us to stand up, to restore, be a restored humanity. A restored humanity. Speaking of that wedding I did yesterday, I was thinking back over my time, premarital counseling, Dier and Sylvia, and, and I know they would not mind me saying this, because this happens in, in just about every premarital course that I do with a couple, and that is we hit a wall at some point. And that wall is, takes the form of many different vices and issues. And I find it interesting that almost in so many of the premarital counseling sessions that I do, I'm not always, mostly I'm not dealing with people who didn't grow up in the church and who don't know Jesus. Like, I love when that happens, so I can possibly lead people by the grace of God to the feet of Jesus, to salvation. But most of the people that I counsel are people who grew up in church and who are living blatantly immoral lives. Like, they're living together, they're having sex all the time, they're not married yet, and I'm looking at them going, uh, like, you, you know what the Bible says, right, about this? And, 
It's not that they don't know what the Bible says and quote-unquote reject Scripture because they've got quote-unquote hard hearts. Their hearts have been hardened by living life among a bunch of Christian people who also disobey Scripture. And they don't know what it looks like to see people who date righteously. I'm not talking about becoming Puritans. I'm talking about dating righteously. Having strong, godly values and virtues in the way that we do dating. We don't know what that looks like. And what's happened in the church is whole populations of believers have been inoculated from living according to the scriptures because we'd be a rare breed. We'd be weird if we actually obeyed what God said. The call to wisdom is a call to be different. And no more excuses. No more, I don't know anybody else who lives this way. The call to the wisdom, to call to wisdom is a call to obedience and to submit our lives to Jesus. This is what we're being called to. And so he tells us, adopt this posture. Do not be wise in your own eyes. But submit yourself to me, to God. Submit yourself to God. I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop there. I think that would be good. Next week, I'm going to talk about the promises of God. We sang about that this morning. And I wonder when we sing... All your promises are yes and amen. I wonder if we even know what those promises are. What are they? What are we singing about? What are we singing about? Well, I don't know, preacher. You tell me. I will. We'll get into that next week. But, uh, um, but I wonder if we know what we're doing or if it's just sort of going through the motions. Are we thinking critically about what we're singing? Are we asking ourselves, what is an Ebenezer? A memorial. What does that even mean? You've got Google in front of you. You can always do that. Go check there. But... Uh, um, But guys, these next couple of weeks I'm really excited about because I think it's crucial that we not only take the first step by bending our hearts around wisdom and wise counsel and reaching out for it, but next week we're going to get into five pillars of what it looks like to live a wise life. And I believe every single proverb uttered in that book fits in one or more of those five pillars. And then we're going to get into what it looks like to follow Jesus when we see promises that are made in Scripture about long life and all this stuff and riches and honor and all this, and we know a lot of people in Jesus who don't have that. What's up with that? We're going to be interacting with that question. And then, at the end of this next three weeks, we're going to be talking about money. Because I know a lot of us in here have a lot of shame in regards to money. Some of us are, we would say maybe that we're addicted to spending. Some of us are living paycheck to paycheck and we have no shortage of new clothes, new shoes, new things. We're in debt up to our eyeballs. We are fighting just to pay that credit card minimum every month. And God loves us. I am not going to beat up on you. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to call anybody out. Hey, how much are you in debt, sir? I'm not going to do any of that stuff. But I want you to know that God loves you and God wants to get into the weeds of your life and help you figure out this thing called how to live. He loves you. So what I'd like to do today is just finish by praying and confessing a blessing over you. My prayer for all of you today is that you and your eyes would be opened to the beauty and the glory of Jesus, first and foremost. My prayer is that every heart here that questions if there is a God would supernaturally begin to believe 
that there is and that he is beautiful and that he is good and he has a name and can be known and he is Jesus. And my prayer for every one of you in here today is that you would see the life of wisdom as truly beautiful, as not just a call to a crummy lifestyle that's boring and no longer fun, but a call to optimum health and wholeness so that the anxiety and the fear and the depression that racks some of us can begin to be dissipated by the peace that comes with being content in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And my last thing that I would like to pray and confess is that if anyone in here does not know our Jesus, that they would come find me afterwards or any of our leaders up front and we would begin to walk you, courageously find us so that we can begin to walk you along the path of dependence on him. I thank you for these lovely people, Lord. I thank you for their lives. And I pray your blessings on them. Blessings of peace and hope and joy. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the one true God. Amen. Amen.